Amen. Thank you, Ken. Thanks, Robbie. Thank you, Jason and worship team, for reminding us that we are needy. <laughs> we are not good at admitting that, are we? Man, it's so good just to be reminded this morning of our deep need for Jesus, and it's not something that's satisfied in a one-time event, um, but it's a daily, moment-by-moment need that we have in Christ. And the beautiful thing about that neediness is not only um, that is he open to us bringing that neediness, neediness before him on a daily basis, but he takes pleasure in meeting us in our neediness. And so that was just such a sweet time of singing with you. And then even that last song that, you know, sometimes I know I should be passionate about the Lord, but I'm not. Sometimes I know I should be yearning, but I'm not. And it's okay to say, Lord, I want to do this. Stir this within me. Awaken something within me, a hunger for you that should be there. Show me where this spiritual apathy is coming from. Show me what's in the way between me and you. And like, I just love the, the worship set this morning, how it just leads us not just in singing, but in praying in a way that exposes our neediness and brings it before the Lord. So um, just say that. I always appreciate the worship team. They do such a great job. Um, welcome you if you're a regular, one of our members. We welcome you. We do always consider this time together as a sacred space, a time to come together as the body of Christ, to worship together, to open God's word together, and to encounter his presence together. If you're visiting with us, we're glad to have you. Thanks for trusting us with your time. Uh, but let me just go ahead and, and draw back the curtains. This is not a perfect church. Uh, you'll see the members around you going, that's right, we're not a perfect place. But uh, we, are, we are deeply in love with a God who is perfect and he is transforming us day by day. And so if you're looking for a church and that, that seems to fit for you, we welcome you to come be a part of the Solid Rock journey uh, to participate in what God is doing here in our church as he draws us near to him and transforms us. If you're joining us online, we welcome you. Always glad that we can broadcast our services this way, but we always wanna be honest that, that, that we know that that's not enough. Uh, we were created for human connection. And so if you're watching or listening online or you folks who are here know people who are, um, please extend that invitation. Our heart is to connect. Even if it happens outside of Sunday mornings, um, please let us know if, if there's more we can do for your family, especially if you're listening online. Uh, we're gonna be in Acts chapter two this morning. Uh, we've been here for a bit. Um, we actually have... Uh, counting this Sunday, uh, we have three more Sundays in Acts 2, and then we're going to move to the book of Genesis, and we'll spend a few weeks in Genesis 1 through 3. And so what we're doing is, in, instead of going through an entire book of the Bible, which we do often, we'll, we spend over a year in the book of Revelation one time, uh, we spent over a year in the book of Acts, um, what we're doing in this series is we're slowing down uh, and looking specifically at one chapter in the book of Acts, Acts 2, and really, really taking a deep look at what it means to be the church and using this as an opportunity to look in the mirror and to ask ourselves questions, not just individually, but collectively as a church. Are there any things that we're devoted to uh, that aren't honoring to Christ? Are there any things that we should be devoted to that we're not? Is there any, are there any areas where we're missing it completely? Maybe there's some areas we just need to make minor adjustments. And so this series for us, the dawn of the church, intentionally is meant for us as a church uh, to look at the scriptures and to ask that question. Lord, is there any, anywhere in our ministry, anywhere in our efforts that we are not honoring you and not aligning with what you have called the church to be? And so um, what we've done the last four weeks, um, we've looked at these specific things that the early church was devoted to. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And we've taken uh, to kind, of a, kind of a, if you will, like a microscopic look at, we've slid each of these under the microscope and dug into what each of these things means for us as a church. Well, in week two, we came across this word that we translate 
fellowship, it's the word koinonia. And we spent a lot of time looking at this word and all the facets of this word and what it means for us as a church. And so what we're gonna do today and next week is we're gonna spend some time practically talking about how this plays out in real time. What are, what are the nuts and bolts of koinonia? What are the nuts and bolts of the fellowship? And so today, the title of the sermon is this, The Rhythm of Biblical Community. I want today to be incredibly practical we talk about rhythm, I'm talking about the rhythm of your life, your daily rhythm, your weekly rhythm, your annual rhythm. What does it look like to have a rhythm in my life, in the life of my family, that is conducive for biblical community? And then next week we'll come back and we'll talk about the heart because the reality is we can align our rhythms all day long and still completely miss each other. And so next week we'll come back and we'll talk about the heart of biblical community. What does it look like when we truly connect life on life? So this week what we're going to do, I'm going to start with really just a reminder of some of the things we talked about a few weeks ago um, that come from this word koinonia, the fellowship. These believers were devoted to the fellowship. The first thing is this, that the fellowship of Jesus is a sacred gathering of those who have believed the gospel and through which God chooses to display his power to the world. The church is the primary, not the soul, but the primary mechanism or means by which God displays his power to the world. Matter of fact, the book of Acts is a recording of God's power through the Holy Spirit uh, being made visible to the world. God does a lot of miracles and, and we can see the gospel going forward. The church is exploding and you can see the, the role of the church in God's grand design. But we also learn this, that to be a part of the fellowship of Jesus implies that you and I are partners. We don't always think about church that way. We are partners in the mission that Jesus has given the church. We used a, a kind of a table as an illustration. You get one corner, I get another corner, the rest of the church fills in, and we, we lift this mission together. Different roles, different functions, different giftings. But we're, we're partners in this. But we're also partners in this relationship, which we're gonna talk about next week, where we share in one another's sufferings and in one another's blessings. There's a partnership there. When one part of the body suffers, we all suffer together. When, when one part rejoices, we all rejoice together. And here's some of the language of biblical community. I am devoted to you, and I'm not going anywhere. You are not too much for me. Now, your situation may be too much, but you aren't. We're in this together. So you can count on me to help carry the load. I'm willing to share my life with you and be a part of whatever you're going through, both in suffering and in blessing. And one of the things we talked about in that sermon was this idea that our fellowship with God, our relationship with God, when we commune with God, that is made visible. It's manifested or revealed in our fellowship with one another. Matter of fact, John uh, wrote in John 13 this, that he captured Jesus' words. Here's how the world will know you're mine. By the way, you love one another. Your love for me will be made visible in the way you love one another. In 1 John 1, uh, John goes on to write this, that right, we have fellowship with God, we'll have fellowship with one another. No fellowship with one another, guess what? You may be fooling yourself. You may not actually be walking in fellowship with God. That what the God does in your life will, will naturally overflow 
and pour out into your relationships with one another. So there's this idea that our, our fellowship with Jesus will be made visible through our fellowship with one another. All right, so let's dig into Acts 42 together uh, for just a, just a moment. Uh, starting in verse 41, it's good to remind ourselves of the context. Peter has just preached the first recorded sermon in the church. I mean, this is the dawn of the church, the opening scene. Peter stands up and he preaches a, a, a sermon that reveals Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. The people are cut to the heart and they're like, what do we do? And Peter's like, repent and be baptized, all of you. In verse 41 of Acts 2, it says this. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And then what Luke does as he writes this, he begins to describe what those believers did. He, began, he begins to describe what life looks like now going forward in a way where he wants to explain some things to us. So if you look at verse 44, he says this, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, this is a beautiful description of community, isn't it? Isn't this a description of kind of what you want your friendships to look like and you want your relationship with your neighbors to look like? Like there's this sense of like, if I have something you need, it's yours. If you have something that I need, you're willing to share it with me. And, and the words that Luke uses here are so simple. But we're gonna stop and really pay attention. The first thing he says this, they were what? They were all together. Now, what I'm about to say is super simple, but it's also gonna be incredibly profound in our current culture. In order to experience biblical community, you have to be, listen, you may wanna take notes. I'm serious, you may wanna take notes. You have to be at the same place, at the same, oh, you already knew that. Now, a super simple concept, but let's be honest. It's somewhat counterintuitive to the culture we live in. We do life on the go, therefore, most of the time, we're doing relationship on the go, even with our own families. And especially with friends and fellow church members and fellow believers, we're, we're just trying to fit in as many things as we can to our life and to our calendar, and we're doing life on the go. And, and the idea of I have to stop and be at the same place at the same time, like that's hard work in our day and time. But what follows after this won't work if there isn't a common place and time. We can't worship together in, unless we're together. We can't grow together in biblical community in, unless we're together at the same place at the same time. And so Luke wants to let us know there's some beautiful things coming out of the early church and it started with what? They were all together. And the way I read this is, is I, I want you to think this way. There's a caution here, okay? What he's not describing is that automatically they threw up four high fences and created this compound, okay? Each of these believers still had responsibilities in life, their dads and moms and 
sons and daughters and brothers and sisters and friendships. They had vocations. They had crops to harvest. They had water to gather. They had all kinds of responsibilities in life. Even their interests on some level were different. He's not saying that all of a sudden there was this cookie-cutter gospel community where everybody looked the same. What he's describing for us is this, that in response to the gospel and what Jesus was doing in their lives, automatically each believer began to carve out a margin in their life where their lives could overlap with one another. Margin's gonna be the key word. They created space for their lives to overlap. What, what Luke is describing here, um, the early church didn't really, at this point, have the language for. They didn't fully theologically understand this new churning within them to be with one another. They just were doing it. And later on, the Apostle Paul will describe this as being in Christ. And so when we're in Christ, that compels us what? Into community with one another. And it, they were just doing it. You don't see Peter giving a bunch of instructions This was just their response to this newfound identity in Christ. So not only were they together creating margin for their lives to overlap, they had all things in common. Now we spent the last four weeks talking about one piece of this. They had a common theology. They had common values that they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostle teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. But practically speaking, this, this plays out in like just everyday possessions, doesn't it? Everyday life. It's not just their devotion to the sacred things that was in common. Here it says what? They were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had needs. There was this devotion to this this common belief and set of values, but there was also this devotion towards one another that played out in generosity. What's mine is yours. I mean, doesn't that set well on you? Like, don't you want friends like that? You want neighbors like that? Like, what's mine is yours. Like, sharing life together. And that's what Luke is describing here for us. Now, this next part here in verse 46, the actual beginning of verse 46, is somewhat difficult to translate into English. So most translations will say, and day by day, day by day, attending the temple court together. When you, like, literally try to translate those words, it actually comes out something, something like this. Um, by day, they were enduring. By day, they were enduring the idea of being close at hand. That's kind of a mouthful, but let's think about that. So by day, on a daily basis, they endured, meaning it wasn't an easy come, easy go relationship. I'm here today, I'm gone tomorrow. Like, I'm here for you today. Guess what? Tomorrow you can count on me. I'll be here again. I'll show up again. Right, so by day, they endured in what? Being close at hand. How else are, are we gonna meet one another's needs? Right, if we, we don't have access to one another. And I would go so far as to say this. In the New Testament, there are over 50 either commands or explicit descriptions of how you and I are to interact with one another. We can't even begin to fulfill or obey those commands or apply those instructions unless we're together, same place, same time, giving access to one another. Like you've got to be really close to me to be able to see my neediness. And I've got to be close to you. 
And so the way Luke describes this is this is by day they endured being close at hand with one another. And this played out in some very specific rhythms for them. He says here, it played out in attending the temple together. I think that's their once a week meeting. We know the early church did this from like almost the beginning. And it was a sacred time. It was such a sacred time that some of the believers enjoyed doing this on Saturday because traditionally that's the Sabbath and others enjoyed doing this on Sunday because that's the day Jesus resurrected that they actually, there was a, there was a dissension and, and, a, and a battle within the church over this. That's what Romans 14 is about. Paul's like, come on guys, like I love your passion for the sacred day, but let's don't split over it. But what's embedded in that is like this, right? There's, this, there's something beautiful about it. It meant something to them. They saw something sacred about gathering together with other Christ followers to worship in the temple. But not only that, they were breaking bread in their homes. So we talked about this last week. Early in the church, when you see this phrase, breaking bread, it often meant two things, the sharing of a meal and also communion. That those two things were combined early on. This is how Jesus himself did it. After the Passover meal, then he takes the bread and says, this bread is my body. He takes the cup and says, this cup is my blood. So the early church practiced that. They get together, they would share meals together. And oftentimes towards the end of the meal, they would take communion together. It was beautiful. But then we get to like 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The apostle Paul's like, okay, tap the brakes. <laughs> you guys are totally missing. You turned this into a party. You're eating too much. You're drinking too much. You've totally lost sight of, of this sacred thing we call the Lord's Supper. So let's separate those two things. But early on, it was the same thing. And that's what Luke is describing here. Like there was this, these touch points throughout the week, different days for different people, different reasons. Some of it was planned ahead of time. Some of it wasn't. And they would touch one another in conversation and sharing of a meal and how is your week and how can I pray for you? And so we see both intentional rhythms to what they're doing, but we also see margin to be spontaneous. So we started thinking about, well, what does that look like in our context today? I mean, things have changed. We're not an agricultural culture and society. Things move at a faster pace. I mean, just to get paid on Friday, you've got a lot of things you've got to get done. A lot of multitasking, a lot of interacting with people digitally and emailing and texting and making sure all these things happen. So what does this look like in our day and time? I wanna walk you through just briefly the solid rock rhythm and just kind of explain to you why we do what we do. I had dinner with a couple recently and they said, hey, we, we want more than just Sunday morning touch points. What does the in-between look like? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk through that with you. We actually have a slide here. So monthly, um, this is what we work on. During our fall and our spring semesters, that the first full week of the month, Sunday worship and community groups. There's two touch points. It's intentional that way. Second week, we do Sunday worship together, and then we'll have our Wednesday worship night. Like, so this coming Wednesday night is Wednesday worship. Some people really enjoyed that. Like, why don't we do this every week? Well, there's the answer. Right? So there's, there's two kind of extremes to this idea of biblical um, rhythms. One is that, and some of you are familiar with this, like if you grew up in church, um, you were at the church every time the doors were, okay, yeah, so you know what I'm talking about. It's like you were there Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday worship, Sunday night, Wednesday night, 
VBS, like you were there at everything. And like, right, if we're not careful, we'll become so busy in church stuff that we completely miss community and showing up with one another and getting real. And we'll convince ourselves that we're doing it because we're busy and completely giving ourselves an excuse to not slow down and connect. Now, the flip side of that is, in our consumer culture, is we try to find a church setting or program that fits us. And for some, it's like, as long as I can slide in on Sunday morning for a few minutes and slide out, we're good. I checked in with God. He still likes me. I still like him. We're good. And, And again, completely miss what? Relationship, fellowship, koinonia, biblical community. And so the idea isn't that we would just make sure you have stuff to do. You have stuff to do. What we want to do is create a rhythm of biblical, biblical community that is conducive to you and your stage of life and where you are. So that's why we do Wednesday worship once a month and then look at week three, touch point, community groups. So Sunday and then you're having a touch point that week on a Wednesday night or a Friday night or a Saturday morning, whenever your community group meets, there's another touch point and then the fourth week, Sunday worship. Weekly, our, uh, during the semesters, fall and spring, our Wednesday night kids and students, third through 12th, they've got something going on. And then monthly, we have this too, men's and women's, women's Bible studies. And so this looks different all over the place in terms of like rhythms. There are some Bible studies that go on every week, rain or shine, no matter what. And the people who participate in those Bible studies, like that rhythm works for them, um, they're a part of it. There are some of our Bible studies that just meet like once or twice a month. I'm, I'm aware of a Bible study that meets in the fourth week because there's There's an open space there and that rhythm works. The point isn't that we would be so busy with religious activity that it would somehow make us feel better about ourselves. It's that you and I are being very intentional, creating margin in our life for our lives to overlap with other believers, to be at the same place and at the same time. Annually, we have a rhythm as well. You can throw this slide up there. So we know that when you're in this monthly rhythm, um, it can, after like several months, it can begin to get heavy heavy. And so what we do is we, the blue represents our, our spring and fall semesters. We slow down in the summers. We tell our community groups, hey, if you guys meet, just spend time like just hanging out, sharing a meal together. Now, if you want to do more, you can, but that's not an expectation. Let's slow down. Let's plan some vacations. Let's take time off. Let's slow down and rest. So we'll actually add in the summer men's breakfast, ladies brunches once a month. That's why we do that in the summer. So you still have a touch point, but you're not having to get all organized and it's not in the evening and you're not having to have a, a, a lesson prepared or a study prepared, but you can still have your touch point. So the summer slows down and then we pick back up in the fall and then we slow down again in the winter. This dictates our church calendar. When lead staff gets together three to four times a year to go over the calendar and to look ahead, we're constantly filtering it through this grid. And one of the things we pay close attention to are, are, is this idea of when we put something on the calendar, what will that do to your family? Are we stretching your family in two different directions? And sometimes that happens. But sometimes we can stop and say, wait, if, we're just, if we just move this here and this here, look, we don't have to make this so hard on the people. And so I want you to know there's an intentionality behind our rhythm here. And our goal isn't to try to look, at a, like, look like another church, but our goal is to create a context where there can be a rhythm for biblical community. I'm gonna share just a few wins that come out of this, that have come out of this for us. And um, so we have these regular rhythms of Sundays and community groups that I just talked through. And what happens is that those become great places to connect with one another. But here's what happens often. 
those regular connections just create a foundation from which the spontaneous ones happen. So I'll just give you a, a community group example. Um, I got permission to, to share this one. So um, two years ago, I think, a couple years ago, um, in the Martin family, if you, don't, if you know the Martins, uh, Jason who leads and Jordan uh, works in our office, and, um, and they, brought, they brought in two extra kiddos in their home. They went from two to four. I'm like, whoa, I'm, I'm, I'm not good at two. I don't know how you do four. A lot of, just, just a lot to keep up with, right? And uh, in the middle of all that, Jordan lost her father. And this happened in the summer. So community groups weren't meeting, but they had been meeting on a regular basis. And the day that Jordan's father passed also happened to be the same day as the birthday of the young nephew that they brought into their home. And all the moms in the room are like, oh, you can feel that tension, right? Like, I need to be grieving. I need to have some space to like, be present, and yet I've chose to take in this young boy, and it's his birthday, and he doesn't understand, and I love what happened. Community group, here's what's going on, immediately jumps in, and last minute planning, just throws a birthday party for this young man. So beautiful. At this point, he wasn't even a Christian. Matter of fact, that's his name. But I love it because the community group foundation was there, the relational foundation, they were aware, they were close enough at hand to go, oh wait, there's a need here and we're all parents, we throw all kinds of, we can do this and just stepped in and created space for, for, the, for the family that needed to mourn to mourn, right? And for the part of the family that needed to celebrate, they could celebrate. Think of other examples of this um, in our church. Uh, I was thinking about you know, just even this last Friday, um, there's Shane, I know it's been a rough week for you guys. Um, and, and, and so like, it was just so cool to see the Schutzes up here on Friday helping to put together a meal uh, and you're not in their community group, right? Like, no, they just are part of the body, but that foundation was set there. So when one part of the body is suffering, another family was able to step in and say, yeah, we got margin, we got space. We can step in and put together this meal for, for Shane and his family at the loss of his father. I mean, yeah, that, we can do that. I was uh, talking with uh, Nick Hill this past week. He is over all of our community stuff. And Nick was like, you know, sometimes I don't even want to show up for a community group. Like, I not only lead a community group, I lead the whole thing. And sometimes I don't want to show up. But when I hear those stories, that's when it makes it worthwhile and I show up anyway. Because I know I'm creating a rhythm from which God can do some amazing things. And then he went on to quote uh, Gloria Estevan. Uh, the rhythm is going to get you. If you know Nick Hill, that's typical Nick. Amen. Amen. The rhythm will get you. There's just some examples. Uh, another one I heard this morning um, from Robbie. If you know the Wallers, Robbie helps backstage. He's the muscle, moving all the stuff around. And uh, the, the Wallers have been here longer than we've been here. They've been here for years. And, and if you know what they've been going through last couple months, two and a half months have been really, really, really hard. A lot of loss, a lot of tragedy. And, uh, and Robbie was just kind of sharing some of that this morning. He said, you know, what was beautiful is about four years ago uh, when Carol lost her mother, um, it was kind of slow. And so there were family there with her and uh, began to get late at night and, and people were beginning to go home. And so Robbie stayed there um, with his two daughters, uh, Hayden and Harper, who grew up here in church. And, uh, and so they're there with their grandmother um, until she passes, until she takes her last breath. If you've ever been in that situation, you know, that's, incredibly difficult. And he said, what was so cool is that the other people in the room were all of their friends. So these were, they're in college. I mean, freshmen and like junior in college. 
and they're surrounded by their college friends. He said at one point, everybody just laid their hands on the bed over, over their grandmother's hand and just laid their hands on her hand. They prayed over her. And there was another moment where they were just singing hymns, just filling the air with praise. He said it went on so long that one by one they began to go to sleep on the floor and he actually took a picture of them all just laying on the floor around the bed. And here's what's so cool about that. Almost everybody in that room represented relationships that were built in our student ministry. From Hayden and Harper coming through our student ministry, it was all the the young men and young women who grew up doing retreats and church camps and Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, laying that foundation from which to be present, right? And to live out biblical community in a real situation. I just wanna share those with you as some examples of what we're talking about. Uh, Now I wanna have just some real talk with you if we can. And so with every American generation, there's a lot to be thankful for, um, a lot to to be grateful for, but there are also things we have to be aware of. Um, Our culture is really good at embedding lies and packaging it in a way that looks really appealing. Um, We oftentimes will call this the American dream and we pass it on from one generation to the next. So like when I was growing up, the American dream was presented this way. Um, I'll be happy if um, I can make good grades in school, can go to college, find a nice looking, well-behaved spouse with whom I will raise two, just two, well-mannered, pleasant children. Then we'll buy a nice home in a nice neighborhood and I'll buy a nice car that I will drive to my job that satisfies my ever longing until that day that I glide into retirement to die in my sleep and not go to hell. That was the American dream that I was presented with. There's some good things in there. that's 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 not the story of happiness and certainly not the story of redemption. Well, in our current culture today, as a parent, I think there's some parenting lies that we, that we hand to one another inconspicuously. Um, first, let me just read through a list of them. I think that some of these will land with you if you're a parent. Um, the first one is this, that our kids get to decide what's best for them. You can, you can like laugh. That's real. It's, it's biblical, godly, and kind to say no to your children. This next one is this, if I don't give my child the same opportunities that their friends have, I'm a failure. If I don't make my children's interests the overwhelming priority in our family, then once again, I'm a failure. This one, my child's future success is 100% dependent on the sacrifices that I make today. Let's be cautious here. It is good, noble, and right for parents to sacrifice on behalf of meeting the needs of their children. It is not required, even necessary, good or right, to sacrifice the family, your time, your energy for the sake of meeting their wants. There's a difference. Like if we could just have real talk, like your children right now, if they're in your home or under your care and your responsibility and, and you have responsibilities to them, but they're going to leave one day, okay? And when they leave, they will then begin to become accountable to God. 
and it's not 100% on your shoulders to make sure that they succeed. And I'm speaking to our helicopter moms and our bulldozer moms who like wanna do everything they can to make sure little Johnny is a success. And so you get out front and try to remove every obstacle, clear the path, so they will be successful. You can do that and they can still crash and burn. And they can crash and burn and be redeemed. Like, that's what the story of redemption looks like. And can I just share with you, like this is from my heart to yours, the three most important things that you could do for your children in addition to sharing the gospel and living the gospel. First of all, listen to me parents, teach your children how to be present with themselves and others. If they don't learn this, they will not know how to be intimate with another human being. Okay, I know you're not comfortable with that word. I'm talking about just real raw human connection intimacy. Second thing is this, teach them to do what, their, what, what, what to do with their mistakes and failures. And the primary way you do that is show them what you do with yours. Okay? And I'm telling you, they're gonna make mistakes, they're gonna fail, sin and otherwise. Show them what to do with failures. If you don't, it's almost guaranteed that shame is gonna rule the day. Okay? And the third thing is, is this. So first of all, um, uh, second of all, I'm sorry, uh, teach them what to do with their failures. First of all, how to be present with themselves and others. And please, please teach your children what friendship looks like. Do not send your kids to college not knowing what friendship looks like. I'm telling you, there's a good chance it will not go well. They're gonna go to college starving for, for connection and they're gonna find it in some real unhealthy ways. You who went to college know what I'm talking about. Like, let them see in your life what real intimacy looks like in marriage and in friendships. That should not be a foreign concept to our children when they leave our home. So I hope that's helpful to you. That's way more important than making sure they make it to every soccer practice. Or that they get the birthday party that all their friends have on social media. So I hope that's helpful for you. Um, let's do this. How do you create margin for real connection? Because there's a chance some of you are like, okay, I want that. I don't know how to get it. First of all, roll out your calendar or pull out your calendar. You know, do it right now, but I encourage you to do it today. Pull out your calendar. Look at everything you have planned for the rest of this month, okay? And I want you to ask yourself, why is that important enough to be on my calendar? You need to be able to answer that question. Why is this important? Okay, and if you can't get there, do this. Who would I upset if I deleted it? Like even like just let your finger hover over the delete button for a second, just feel that angst. Like who is this upsetting? Who would I be letting down if I delete this? Now here's the next part. Before you add new stuff to your calendar, get in the practice of asking yourself these questions. Am I making this commitment out of shame of what somebody else thinks about me? Am I making this commitment out of envy of something I see in somebody else's life? Am I making this commitment out of a cultural pressure or expectation? And if the thing you wanna put on your calendar can pass the test and it has value and meaning and it's gonna enrich your family and your life, put it on the calendar. But let's stop and let's think about these commitments that we're making and let's create margin for our lives to overlap in regular rhythms 
and in spontaneous ones. So I want to land here with um, some questions for reflection. This is normally what we do at the end of the sermon. Let's think for a minute about how this plays out practically. First question that I want you to think about is this. Do you have any unmet desire for deeper, more meaningful relationships with other believers? Did today stir something in you? Or maybe touch a nerve, like, "Mm, I've been wanting that, I've been longing for that. A second question is this, is, is there anything going on at Solid Rock that you really want to be involved in but can't because there's not room in your calendar? And third, I'd ask you to consider this. Have you stopped to take inventory on your current monthly commitments and make sure, now listen to this wording, make sure you haven't said yes to too many good things. Good is not the metric. I'm telling you, there are plenty of good things you can add to your calendar. Just make sure you haven't added too many of those things. And then this last but not least question would be this one. What practical step can I take this week to begin to move towards creating this rhythm for biblical community. Listen to me, do not go out and try to conquer this thing in seven days. Don't go home today and just delete everything and start, well, I mean, you can. That's not what I'm encouraging you to do. Uh, But I am encouraging you to take inventory and at least be willing to sit down with your family or your significant other and say, hey, is is there one step we could take this week? And you look at the calendar, you go, yeah, this thing on Thursday night at work, I actually don't have to be there. Delete it. Here's a good test. You'll automatically want to go, okay, now what can we put in this place? What if you didn't put anything in the place? I know some of you are like getting really nervous right now. What do you mean? Like an evening that doesn't have something? Yeah, just create margin. See what God does with it. You may get to Thursday afternoon and you're like, I'm still waiting on God to tell me what to do at this time. And you're like, I don't know what to put in this place. Well, here's, spend time with your family. Share a meal together. Go for a walk. Do something relational. So what practical step can you take this week, if necessary? Some of you maybe have this down. If you do, please come talk to me. I need to get some wisdom from you. But if not, like what one step could we take this week to begin living in this rhythm that will be conducive for biblical community? And then we'll come back next week to talk about um, the heart of biblical community to make sure that when we create that space, we're not just flying right over each other. That we're, we're actually taking time to be present with one another. Let's pray together. Um, Father, thank you for this word today. Thank you for this beautiful portrait you paint of the church uh, in the scriptures. And it's so um, encouraging to see that um, even these early believers didn't have it all down, that there was, a, there was, there was room for growth and, and they didn't even have fully a language to describe what they were experiencing. But as the New Testament unfolds, God, we begin to, begin to get this beautiful portrait of what it means to be your people and what it means to be called the church. And Father, I just confess personally that and what we're talking about this morning is a consistent, constant struggle for me and for my household. And Father, I pray that we would not grow weary in living our lives in an intentional way, that we would not tire of stopping to ask the question about what really matters. Father, if there's some here today who need to recalibrate life, God, I pray that you would begin that right now, even while we sing, even while I'm praying. God, take what we see in the scriptures, take what we've learned together today and use it, God, to transform us into the people you're calling us to be. Pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.